As I was thinking about coming up here this morning, we're, we're going into a topic that uh, a lot of the topics of the next three weeks are kind of beyond us, and I was thinking, you know, how do you pray to start out this? And, and someone was telling me they were at a conference, and the speaker got up, and he said, let's pray before we start. And, you know, they were waiting for this big, dynamic, long, fantastic prayer, and he just said, Jesus, help. Spirit, help. Because there's, uh, there are many things about this life we live that are so far beyond us. Um, and even when we think we get it, we've, we've just about grasped it, we've got our handle on it, then it slips out, and God does bigger and better things, or more confusing things, or doesn't do what we expected him to do. So I pray as we approach this this morning, Jesus help. We're talking about prophecy this morning, and uh, we're in the middle of this Welcome to Church series. And uh, we've slowed down a bit because we're taking chapter 12, 13, and 14 over five weeks. In the next three weeks, we're actually just going to deal with three spiritual gifts. We're looking at prophecy this week and tongues next week and healing the week after. And we're not doing this because we think these are the most important gifts. So everybody pay attention. Forget about all those people that do all the other things. These ones, pay attention, get on board. These are the ones you need to seek. Because they're all vitally important. Everything we do as part of the body of Christ. We, we talked about that last week and we're going to talk about it in a second. But we do address these because we're also told mysteriously to seek the greater gifts. And at least one of them, what we look at today, is this gift that we don't know what to do with. And a few of the more miraculous ones we, we step back from because they're mysterious, because they're freaky, because we've seen poor examples of them or we've seen no examples of them. And so we're not sure what to do about these things. So we want to take these next three weeks to sort of dispel some myths, some myths, some myths. We looked a couple weeks ago at 1 Corinthians 12, and we looked at all the gifts that, that, are, that Paul tells us about in the New Testament. 20 gifts, 20 spiritual gifts. There's lots of other talents, but 20 spiritual gifts. And Paul goes to great extent to tell us that every single one of these things, big, small, outward, inward, up front, behind the scenes, miraculous, not, not seemingly miraculous, every single one of these things, and that was from two weeks ago, some are associated with the church, some are associated with miracles, and some we just think are normal, but they're all spiritual gifts, and they're all absolutely vital to the body of Christ. And we, have, we can only approach prophecy, tongues, and healing if we understand that. That was two weeks ago, and then, and then last week, Allie went into 1 Corinthians, and we read this, which we've heard at many, many weddings. I'm not sure if it was at our wedding. I don't think it was, but it should have been. <laughs> but we lo- <laughs> Joke. <laughs> but we look at this, and um, Allie laid out this thing that if, if, if we can do any of these gifts, we can do the greatest of them or the least of them. We can be the humblest servants or the greatest miracle workers. And Allie pointed out that Paul pointed out that any of this and all of this is nothing if it's not done out of love. Miracles, bringing people up from, from leprosy or whatever, serving, helping, speaking words of wisdom. Paul could not speak stronger. It is nothing if not done in love. But then you look at this list and you go, well, pff, I can't do that. I loved what Ali said at the end last week. He said, it's very easy for us to look at 1 Corinthians 13 and say, that's not me. 
I know a couple people who sort of look like that, but, but that's not me. It's always patient, always kind. It's not self. It never fails. That's not me. But he said, but Jesus looks at us and says, you're right. It's me. It's my love for you and my love in you and my love growing in you. And I thank Jesus so much for that because I look at this list and Fiona will tell you, that's not me. But we need to keep this in mind for all of it because as we look at prophecy and as we look at the other gifts, as we look at tongues, even as we look at service and helps, we can look at the the set of gifts we just saw and say, well, well, that's not me. I, I can't do those things. I don't have a first clue how to start with miracles. I don't have a first clue how to serve people. I want to step in and help, but my, my actions get jumbled or my words get jumbled. That's not me. But just like Jesus, the Holy Spirit says, you're right. It's not you. It's my power at work within you. You're not good enough to love the way, and I need to hear this desperately. You're not good enough to love the way First Corinthians calls you to love. And you're not powerful enough to act the way chapter 12 and chapter 14 call us to act. To prophecy, tongues, healing, service. So in the next three Sundays, we're going we're gonna to slow down to get rid of some of our, our misperceptions around this stuff. Um, because it's not all about what we know and it's not all about how we act. It's about what the Holy Spirit can and will do in us. But there are obstacles that prevent us even from asking the Holy Spirit to do things in us because of our misperceptions. So as we start today, though, we start with a bit of a a paradox. Because at the end of chapter 12, actually two-thirds of chapter 12 tell us what we've just been told. That it's all equal. We're all vital. Every part. No one's greater than any other part. In fact, if we lose your part, the body won't function. If your part's overemphasized, the body's going to be out of whack. If your part's not used, the body won't function. And it's all vital. It's all equal. It's all necessary. And yet, Paul then finishes chapter 12 after saying all that by saying, Now, eagerly desire the greater gifts. So it's, it's all equal. It's all vital. It's all integral. But eager, eagerly desire the greater ones. So all I can grasp from that is Paul is telling us we all play these many, many parts, but there's some smaller subset that we also all must eagerly desire and I don't have time nor the knowledge nor to tell you what that smaller subset is if I can nail it down to those seven or eight but first Corinthians 14 speaks powerfully into what one of them is so first Corinthians 14 starts like this follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the spirit especially prophecy We're supposed to be servants. We're supposed to be helpers. We're supposed to be guiders. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. And we've heard this before, but... Verse 12 says, Since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. Well, that's that larger subset of these gifts. And I don't know what all of them are. But as we'll see in a second, prophecy is definitely a gift that builds up the church. And then 39 says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, be eager 
to prophesy. And I know we've heard these a few times, but do you ever go, <laughs> like this guy from the 1950s, from Leave It to Beaver, you guys probably didn't have that show? Could he really be telling us that? Is, is that really what Paul's trying to tell us? Because this stuff's a bit freaky for me. It's a bit out of my comfort zone. In fact, I've seen it really messy. I've seen it un, very unhelpful. In fact, I, don't, I haven't seen it helpful that often. Is, is, is that really what Paul's telling us? Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. And so the question, and I don't want to show of hands here, although if you want to put up your hand, you very much can. How many of us are eager to prophesy? How many of us want to be that guy or that girl that we all think is a bit nutty? And yet it's hard to deny that Paul is very clear about this command. My dad always used to say, we look at uh, the Old Testament, the first five books of the Bible, and, and it reveals to us the law, but especially the Ten Commandments. So we have the commandments of the Old Testament, but we just have the suggestions. Paul's saying, maybe if you want to think about it, I don't know, prophecy might be something. But he doesn't. He says, eagerly desire to prophesy. But a really important question here is why of all of them is Paul pointing out this one spiritual gift? And so that's we're going to go through a whole bunch of scripture. You can't take all of it. Write down one of them. Whatever sticks with your head today, write it down and take it away. So chapter 14, verse 3. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, for their encouragement, and for their comfort. Yeah, be eager to prophesy. I want to strengthen, I want to encourage, I want to comfort people. More often I don't do those things, I want to do those things. Verse 4, the one who prophesies edifies the church. We talked about this, seek the gifts that build up the church. The one who prophesies edifies the church. <clears throat> I would like every single, not every, sorry, I don't want to misquote. I would like every one of you, to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy because it edifies the church. And then verse 24, and this is a bit of a mixed bag. If an unbeliever, if an unbeliever comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all. Well, we don't like the sound of that. That's not how we do church nowadays. As their secret hearts are laid, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. But then it finishes with this. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Be eager to prophesy, encourage, comfort, strengthen people, edify the church. Can you imagine if you're around people, which we all know and are constantly around in here and way more out there, if the words you say, maybe we don't really want them to fall down on their face, but cause them to say, wow, God is with you. I want a piece of that. God is really among you. And as we read the why, 
it's hard to stick with our position that prophecy is that freaky thing we, we don't want to have any part of. As we read what Paul is calling us to, it's hard to say that's not for me. Because how could we not want to be part of that stuff that God's going to do? And yet it's way too big for any one of us. Jesus, help. So what I want to do this morning is to look at the bigger picture of prophecy. And I've called it a beginner's guide. Not because I think you guys are beginners, although some of you are beginners, but because I am in no way qualified to give anything higher than a beginner's guide. I'm like level one, below trainee on, you know, in, in the course. So this is totally a beginner's guide. And what I really want to do is look through what the Old Testament says about it, because I think a lot of our misperceptions are there, and then look at what the New Testament teaches about it and then how it works out today. So that's all we're going to do. So, Old Testament. This is a Polaroid that I found of uh, some of the apostles and prophets. Did you know they look like that? God spoke directly in the Old Testament through a smaller subset of people. Mostly guys, but also some girls. We're going to talk about that in a couple weeks. Um, Through Abraham, Moses, David, Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Huldah. Has anyone ever heard of Huldah? Who's heard of Huldah? No one. Wow, we're going to talk about her in a couple weeks. And he did the, the thus saith the Lord type stuff through this, or depending on what translation you read. This is what the Lord says if you're in the NIV or the NLT. And then, so they spoke very clearly. These are very specific words. And then depending on whether their uh, forth telling, their future telling was correct or not, or whether it seemed correct, they were stoned or not, or they were ignored or not, or their books were kept or not. They gave uh, pictures of the future. They revealed mysteries behind dreams or vision. They brought words of encouragement. Sometimes we're going to see one here. But often they called kings and leaders back to the law. You're way out of line here. Come back to the law. Come back to obedience. Come back to justice. And come back to mercy. But all of this was this, thus saith the Lord. These are the exact words of God. And we've got them written down in scripture. An example of this is Isaiah. Nope. An example of this is Isaiah 56.1. This is what the Lord says. Maintain justice and do what is right. For my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Isaiah, this is what the Lord says. And I go into this really briefly because I think if you're anything like me, this is where a lot of us get stuck. We think about what prophecy looked like in the Old Testament. We think about these exact words and the authority and the power that the Old Testament prophets either spoke. And either they were false and evil and from Satan or they were right and and their prophecies came true and they were from God. And that's what we think prophecy looks like today. But another underlying... um, message was coming through in the Old Testament. And we don't have time to go through all of it. But here's one little bit of it. In Joel 2, 28, 29, we've heard this before. Then you will know that I am in Israel and that I am the Lord your God. This is Joel saying that. So again, thus saith the Lord. And afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days on all people. 
Philip Emerson talked about this last year with you guys. I wasn't here, but he said, all people doesn't mean everyone. It means all kinds of people. Not just like that subset of 99% men and one or two women in the Old Testament that spoke with this incredible, but this broader range, young men, old men, dreams, visions, servants, men and women. And that was what was to come. And then we get to the New Testament. And this is what this was looking ahead to. And obviously Jesus came, and that was different than us slightly, although we have the same spirit speaking to us. And he, he was born, and he was raised as a boy and became a man, and he, and he died for our sins, and he rose again. And then he spent those 40 days talking with the disciples, and then he whew, up to heaven. But before he left, he said, go wait in Jerusalem because you're not ready yet. I'm going to send something else. Go wait for the Holy Spirit, your guide, your helper, your power. And so they went, and we know the story. They were sitting in the upper room, talking, praying, waiting. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? It's been 10 days. I can't believe it's been 10 days. And then, whoom, wind powers through the room and flames come down in their heads. And they start babbling in all sorts of ways. And they spill out onto the street. And there's people from all over the world in Jerusalem. And some of them think they're crazy and drunk. But some of them hear the good news of Jesus prophesied through tongues through these people. And, and Peter, it's so crazy that Peter has to stand up and explain to everyone what's happening. This is what Joel predicted. This is what he said. All types of people will be prophesying. What God had only pointed towards or insinuated or what we only hoped for in the Old Testament was all of a sudden happening in the people. But we look at that and that's still in the Bible. And that's still those great things that happened back then. And what I love about the Bible is that Paul knew we were going to have a problem with this because there was a problem with it right away. And as he writes the book to the Ephesians, he says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. And what stands out for me there is not the level of the power, but that Paul simply prays, I pray that you will understand. Because I know you're going to misunderstand. I pray that you will understand. And that's my prayer for me. It's my prayer for you. I pray that we will understand the mighty power. So where do we go from there? Where do we go from Pentecost? Because there will always be mystery around this. Because it's of God. It's not Paul or Karen or Ian or Fiona or whoever else coming up with these prophecies. It's God speaking prophecy. So there will be mystery. It will be beyond what we can understand. And this was happening right early in the New Testament. Along with the Ephesians, Paul spoke to the Thessalonians as well. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 19, 20, and we've spoken about this before, Paul writes them and says, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil.
do not quench the spirit. No, that stuff's freaky. We don't understand it. Those people were babbling. They were drunk on the street. That person stood up and they were talking about butterflies or it's another waterfall. Seriously. And maybe it is wrong. We're going to get to that. But do not quench the spirit. So today, what do we do with that? How do we quench the spirit? We crowd the spirit out. We pack these times full because I I like order. I like plan. I like control. I don't like mess. I don't want to look like a fool. But it's definitely not just about here. We do the exact same thing Monday to Saturday and Sunday afternoons. We don't like interruption. I'm on my way to work. I'm on my way to see to my family. No, I don't want to embarrass that. Seriously, that person to talk to? We crowd the spirit out with our plans, with our order, and hands up. You don't have to, my hands are totally up on that. We quench, we extinguish, because we want to be in control. Or we neglect. I know there's some stuff about the Holy Spirit in there, and I heard someone, Paul and this guy, keep on going on about eagerly desire it, but I just don't want to know about it, so I'm not going to look at it. What I don't know, I'm not going to be held responsible for. Or we just ignore it because we've seen the things that scare us. We've seen maybe things that convict us, but also the things that make us nervous. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Again. I don't like that. That person got up and spoke about building blocks and apparently it connected with that person, but this stuff is too wishy-washy. I like the Bible. I like the verses that are just clear. So we treat prophecy with contempt. We despise it. And we, if you're from my tradition, and a lot of us are from more concerned, we treat these things with contempt. So what's the answer to that? But test them all. By definition, testing them all means you're making room for them to happen. But he wouldn't say test them if stuff came forward that was always right. Maybe not necessarily evil, but just not quite right. Bring them on. Bring them on. Don't quench them. Don't despise them. But test them. And we're going to look in a bit about how to test them, but I think it's really important to look at first of why. And this is the biggest misconception that I've had and the biggest uh, learning I've had in the last year. Not how, but why do we test prophecy? Because, and I know this is a little knowledge, and we're going to get into stories very soon, but I think the knowledge is really important to help us deal with misconceptions. Because something different is happening in the New Testament to the Old Testament. We're no longer, thus saith the Lord. We no longer are the prophets that have the exact words of God that are going to be written down in the words of Scripture. Wayne Grudem is a guy that's written a systematic theology textbook about this big. He's one of the editors on the ESV. He's a super smart guy. Actually, probably one of the most conservative minds speaking about prophecy right now. And he points to a couple verses, and one of them is this. In 1 Corinthians 13, which Ali talked about last week, it says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. 
This is really helpful. The mirror imagery suggests both indirectness and incompleteness in the knowledge that comes through this revelation. We're not Isaiah and Jeremiah. We're not Huldah. What the prophet sees or learns is only a glimpse of some reality, but not the whole picture. And I suppose I don't want to confuse that. They didn't have the whole picture either, but what they got was very clear. We see in a mirror dimly. John Piper, another, and I bring these conservative minds up because they're probably closer to what a lot of us come from rather than jumping way ahead to some of the uh, bigger prophets in our world today. But John Piper says, he points to First Thessalonians 5, and he says that prophecy today is spirit-prompted, revelation-rooted, but mixed with human imperfection and fallibility, and therefore in need of sifting. In one interview, he even put a numbers on. He's like, maybe it's like 77% God, whatever that is, 23% human, because we get in the way of it. The problem, though, is Paul has given us this five times in 1 Corinthians and Thessalonians, these commands. Do not despise prophecy. Eagerly to get, desire the gift of prophecy. Test all prophecies. He's given this command, command, command. And then he doesn't give us a lot of outworking on it. He doesn't give us teaching a lot of outworking on it. But we do have a story that gives us an incredible outworking message on it. So Acts 20 and 21 is this. Paul is on his way from his last missionary journey, and he's on his way, he wants to go back to Jerusalem. He's in Ephesus, and in verse 20, uh, chapter 20, verse 22, he says to the Ephesians, this is Paul, the Apostle Paul, and now compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me. So he's compelled by the Spirit, he has this sense, this urge, but he does, it's, it's limited. I don't know what's going to happen. And then in verse 23, he says this, I only know that in every city the Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. So Paul's received this revelation, and he's speaking it out to the people, so that's prophecy. It's just if he got it, it'd just be hearing God. But he has this limited sense. I only know that the Holy Spirit warns me that hardship's coming. But then we go, okay, great, that's Paul, fantastic. All the, like the prophet, you know, like the apostles, like the prophets, they wrote, they wrote the Bible, so that's different. But then something happens. Paul moves on. Leaves Ephesus, heads to a few different cities, and ends up in Tyra. And in, the, in Tyra, they hear the whole story, and they cut, the disciples in Tyra come up to Paul, and it says this. Through the Holy Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. So, so Paul has just been urged or compelled by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem, and then he gets to Tyra, and the disciples, through the Spirit, urge him not to go to Jerusalem. So, and the Bible doesn't say through an evil spirit, or through a wayward spirit, or in themselves, or they thought it was the Spirit. It says through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. So something's happening here. Did they have a picture of Paul being persecuted and tied up? Did they have just a sense, Spirit's telling us not to go? But whatever it is, it's the same Spirit seeming like he's revealing two different things? Or is it just them understanding it differently? Test them all. It goes on. Chapter 21, uh, verses 10 and 11. A prophet named Agabus, we hear about him a few times in the New Testament, came down from Judea. This is in Caesarea. 
coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, he tied it around his hands and his feet. I don't know how he did that. And the Holy, and he said this, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. So again, the Holy Spirit comes, and, and, and Agabus has got this really incredibly specific p- picture. This almost sounds like an Old Testament prophecy thing, but there's a catch. He's slightly wrong. Does the Bible say it, it's not the Holy Spirit? No. Does the Bible say it's an evil spirit? No. Does the Bible say it's the Holy Spirit? Yes. But Paul wasn't bound by the Jews and handed over to the Gentiles. He was actually beat up by the Jews, almost killed by the Jews. And the Gentiles, the Romans, ran in and rescued him. And then they bound him. So Agabus gets this really amazing picture from God. But in the, he maybe sees it slightly wrong and he portrays it wrong. It's inconsequential, really. But it shows us this mirror dimly, this not seeing face to face. And then some sort of testing happens. And I don't have these up here, but 21.12 says, When we heard this, what Agabus said, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Paul, I hear what you're saying. You say the Holy Spirit said it to you, but we see a whole bunch of times over that the Holy Spirit says this. And Paul responds, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. So prophecy is happening here. Or at least someone here is getting it wrong. Do we take them out back and stone them to death? No, Paul's saying, test this stuff. And they test it together. The amazing thing that happens is even though they got it slightly wrong, their prophecies actually affirmed what the Holy Spirit was already saying to Paul. Yeah, he's already telling me I'm going to Jerusalem. He's already telling me it's going to be pretty ugly, but I'm compelled to go. I love this picture. It helps us think about what, and it's maybe even a bit bigger than what we still imagine today, but helps us think about what prophecy looks like today. It could just be prophetic compulsion. I've got to go to Jerusalem. I've just got this sense in it. It won't leave me. I've got to go to Jerusalem. Or the same type of compulsion or a sense or an urge from the disciples at Tyra. Don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. Or a vivid, almost crystal clear picture for Agabus of the belt, but not perfect. And then they test it. They talk about it and they say, Paul, if you're convinced of this, we're with you. The Lord's will be done. And that's still a bit beyond what we can imagine, but I think it's a really helpful picture for us to think about when we think about what prophecy looks like today. And I want Ian and Jillian to come up now. Jillian, yes. Because I want them to tell some stories. I want to look at a couple ways that prophecy works today. And hopefully through these, we can see that there's mystery in it. It is beyond us, but in its simplest form, it's actually not that scary. Maybe. (laughs) But we need to take those baby steps out into it so that we can eagerly desire and grow in this gift. Go ahead. Actually, Ian, you go first, and then I'll let Jillian go. Um... 
I, like, like many of you, I was brought up in a very conservative church, and therefore this stuff was never talked about. It stopped in the Old Testament, like Paul mentioned earlier. Ever about, and you'll know by the age of me, a long time ago when I was at a youth camp, um, I was sitting one night waiting for the start of a meeting, and this guy came in, sat down beside me. We called him Joe, although his name was Alistair, but anyway, that's another story. Um, and I just turned, I, I don't know what prompted me, but I turned him and said, Joe, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4, that's the ticket. Now, I was always known as a bit of a, an Egypt and camps and stuff, and therefore always raking about. But later on in the camp, there was a, a, a sort of a, a campfire time where we all were given the opportunity to share what God had said or what God had done for us at the camp. And this guy got up and he said that because I was a, an Egypt and always a, he thought it's bound to be some sort of sarcastic verse and it was some sort of hidden meaning. And anyway, he took it away. Second Corinthians 10 verse 4 is talking about how strongholds in our lives, but it's not about that. I'll actually, I was going to say I'll read it. I can't even see it, so I'll not read it. <laughs> Go and read, and read it later. But it talks about strongholds in our lives. And at that particular time, he was struggling with strongholds and grip on his life that were really, really thing. Now, I knew nothing about it. I just said to him, Joe, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4. And when he shared that at the end, I was going, what's going on? I had no idea. And totally oblivious to me. So it, <laughs> it's the Holy Spirit. It wasn't me. I love that because that started the journey for you that maybe God can speak through me. Is that God? And how do I? Yeah, yeah. that's brilliant. Ian, thanks. Well, I have two very short ones. Um, the first story I have is about um, maybe seven years ago, eight years ago, and I, Grant and I were thinking about me cutting my hours down at work, and we were considering whether or not it was the right thing to do and what sort of impact it would have on our family. And it was like a really big financial decision in many ways. And one night I had a dream about this, and I didn't know at the time it was about that financial decision, but in my dream, I had seen this big red sports car zooming off down a road. And I'd seen a wee beat-up 2CV dolly <laughs> going up a hill. And in the dream, I'd felt God said to me, Gillian, your life's not going to be the big glamorous red sports car zooming down the road. It's the 2CV. And I woke up in the morning and told Grant this, told my children about this strange dream, because I you know, was just talking to them over breakfast and told them this. And they thought, right, okay, what does that mean? I went, don't know. And about a month or more later, I was sitting in church and Karen got up and said, I have just seen a picture and I don't know what it means. And it's a red sports car zooming down the road and a really beat up old car. And it's some kind of financial decision. And God says he's in that decision. And I remember sitting there going, that was my dream. That was my dream. Now, I hadn't shared that with Karen. My kids came running to me after that service and said, Mommy, that was your dream. That was your dream. And I went, yeah. And so that for me was confirmation that it was right for me to cut my hours and do that. So that was one example of that. And then the other example is of when I got given a picture to share in church. And all I had seen was sitting during a sermon and it had nothing to do with the sermon. And I was beating myself up and telling myself, would you, for goodness sake, concentrate? What are you doing here? And I saw a watering can. And it was full. And there was little droplets of water coming out of this watering can. And there was a tiny, tiny little seed. And I was looking. I said, God, what on earth is that about? 
And he says, if I empty that whole watering can on that seed, it'll kill it. But little by little by little, it'll grow. And I sensed that God was saying somebody felt they only had very little, a little seed, and that he was still watering that little seed, that that's all they needed, and little by little by little that would grow. And I got up afterwards and shared this with the church. Very fearful. (laughs) And that was that. Went home. Nobody spoke to me. And I thought, oh, goodness, I really got that wrong. And then it would have been about two or three... (laughs) About at least two or three weeks later, at home group, somebody came up to me and said, oh, Gillian, I meant to say to you, do you know when you shared that about the watering can and the seed? That morning, I had been talking to God, saying, look, I have got nothing. I've only got what my faith is like. It's like this little seed. And I thought, oh, thank you, God. And so my point of what I just want to finish with is this. It's terrifying to stand in front of people and share something at times. And when you see somebody do it, you think, oh, but that's them. Like you think that's Paul, that's the apostles. And I think just when Paul was talking, I kind of got a glimpse of why God tells us to eagerly desire. And it's because it's sacrificial. (laughs) Because you have to die to yourself to be willing to stand up there and share it. And God knows then he's got your heart if you're willing to look foolish because we all have our pride. And for me, that was a big thing. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I love that because are you serious, God? I'm sitting here in church and I have a picture of a little red sports car. 99.9% of us, thank you, Karen, are going, shut that one out. But God works in mysterious ways. And you know what? That could have been totally wrong and no one could have responded. And we could have said, Karen or whoever, if you've done that a thousand times now and you need to sit down and not get back up. We need to test it. But if we're not willing to test it, we don't see the crazy ways God works. Do not despise prophecy. Do not quench the spirit. Paul commands us this stuff. But test them all. We're stopping now. And I want to create some space after this. We're not going to finish late. Don't worry. Every gift needs space to grow. It needs space for trial and error. And this is the scariest space. So in lots of ways, I don't think even this is the greatest space for it. Small groups, one-on-one. We don't have time to go into all this. But we need people to try and fall and get back up again like my kids. You kidding? It's your first step? You're almost a year old? What are you, stupid? You fell? No, we celebrate that they take a step and they had... The, the courage to take a step, the courage to say the red sports guard, the courage to talk about. And if it's of God, we celebrate it. And if it's not, we say, listen, we need to think about this stuff. We're commanded to eagerly desire to prophesy. We're commanded to test them all. And we're commanded to hold on to the good and reject what is evil. Mike, come on up here, you guys. I'm going to get them to sing a song. We're going to take a moment to actually see if God's saying stuff to us this morning. And you know what? He may not. He didn't get up this morning and go, oh, Paul's speaking on prophecy, so I better show up because he's so awesome. But he's always speaking to us.
if we have the courage to speak. There's rules that the Bible gives us. Does it point people to Jesus and not to you? If it's pointing people to me, it's not of God. Does it encourage comfort and strengthen? If it's not, if it fear creates fear and shame and insecurity, it's not of God. Does it build up and edify the church? If it tears down and creates disunity, it's not of God. Does it agree with Scripture? If it contradicts, it's not of God. And is it true? Simply as true. That's the dream I had three weeks ago. Or that's not my life. Lord, I pray that you help us step into this gift that you've commanded us to eagerly desire over and over and over again. All of us. And I don't know what that means in its fullness. But I want to be part of a church that is built up as encouraged comfort and strength and that sees people fall on their face because they see God here. pray this in Jesus' name. As we sing this song, I want to give it a bit of space for people to have, um, if God's been stirring something in you, and if you feel, I actually need to say that, and I, I need to take the courage and possibly even look like a fool, but there's someone in this place that needs to hear this, or maybe someone's, something God's stirring something in you for someone specific, and you can just talk to them afterwards. But if God's stirring something in you, we want to leave space for it and we want to test it. So as they're singing, please just feel free to come up and speak to me and then we'll have an open space afterwards for God to speak individually to us or God to speak corporately to us.